invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your love that is so deep, so infinite. They've, you've reached down from heaven to earth to pull us up out of the pit of sin that we have fallen into. You've set our feet upon the solid rock of your word. And Lord, that's the reason why we've come here tonight seeking to understand more clearly your message and your perfect will for our lives and your love for us. And Lord, I know that Satan hates tonight's topic, and he's going to do his best to distract us. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would reign supremely in this room tonight, that if there's any demonic distracting spirits in this room, that those spirits would be removed in Jesus' name. And that only the Holy Spirit would reign supremely tonight. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you'd open our heart and mind to receive the message. Give us a humble and a teachable spirit. Make our minds like a sponge that we might soak up every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Lord, I pray that you please give me strength tonight to share this message. Give me clarity. I pray that you'd give me a strong voice and that uh, your message will be heard loud and clear. And I pray, Lord, that we would not only understand it, but I pray that you'll put a love in our hearts for you that will compel us to embrace, to believe, and to follow the truth that we're going to learn tonight. This is our prayer, and we thank you for hearing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Our message tonight entitled, Revelation's Eternal Sign of Love. Tonight in this message, we're going to define what the eternal sign of love is. And then tomorrow evening when we deal with the Antichrist and his greatest deception, we will discover why this topic tonight is so important. And so I just want to make that clear that tonight... We're not going to have enough time to explain why this is so relevant and important. That's for tomorrow night. Tonight, we just want to have a clear, biblical, thorough understanding of what exactly it is. And then we'll see how it ties in in prophecy tomorrow evening. So what exactly is this eternal sign of love? I want us to notice this question that the psalmist asked. In the book of Psalms, the 8th division... Verse 3 and 4, if you'd please write that scripture down, and if you want, you can open your Bible. It's also on the screen. The Bible says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Here we find in this passage, the psalmist is standing in awe at the handiwork of God. As he views the vast universe, the sun, moon, and stars, and, 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 and this, this great cosmos that, that, that God has made, he feels a sense of his own smallness. The universe is so big, and he feels so small. He's overwhelmed by the glory of God declared in the heavens. And as he's considering the great universe that God has made, this urgent question comes to his mind, the question dealing with who he is. He asks, what is man, or who am I, that God, the one that made all these things, 
is so mindful and cares about me? And this urgent question is a very important question. He's basically asking, who am I, God, that you care so much about me? You see, the psalmist knows that he is special, but he's not sure just why he is so special to God. His question deals with identity. Who am I in comparison to this vast universe? And friends, this question about our identity, who am I, is answered as we ask these other three questions as well. The questions that are truly life's greatest questions that everyone has. The questions that, uh, that says, where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Where do we come from? That deals with our origins. Why are we here? That deals with our purpose. Where are we going? That deals with our destiny. And I want us to consider, friends, that our identity, who am I, is rooted in how we answer these questions as far as our origins, our purpose, and our destiny. And I want us to consider that if we're to answer this first question about where we came from, the other answers will become clear and obvious as a natural result. It, are, it, it is these questions that have driven man to search incessantly and relentlessly for some sign in the heavens, something in the great cosmos that will reveal the mystery of our identity, our purpose, our destiny, and our origins. And I want to submit to us tonight, friends, that while the starry heavens can provoke such questions, the starry heavens cannot adequately answer these questions. Well, well, then where do the answers lie? It doesn't answer so much, oh, excuse me, the, the, the answers are not found so much by looking up, but rather by looking within the Word of God. Because, friends, God's Word answers the most important questions of our lives. In fact, in the very first verse of the Bible, God sought to deal with these questions about where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. In the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it tells us that in the beginning, God did what? He created the heaven and the earth. Here we find in the beginning, God created time, space, and matter. He created time in the beginning. He created space, that's heaven and the earth, that's matter. And friends, the Bible is clear that, that, that mankind and everything that was made came from the hands of God, an all-powerful, all-wise creator. But unfortunately, nearly all of humanity's quote-unquote best scientists have chosen to ignore these clear and powerful words of Scripture. And as a result of ignoring them or forgetting the fact that we came from God, an intelligent creator, mankind has invented the false theory, which is a religion called evolution. They say that a big bang took place and mankind evolved over billions and billions of years by accident. They say that a single cell miraculously came into life in some primordial soup. And then that single cell, uh, after miraculously, miraculously coming to life, it grew into a complex living organism. Then it grew fins to swim and legs to walk and wings to fly. Then it grew arms and fingers and eyes and ears. Then it grew into you. And friends, I want to submit that while nature does demonstrate inherent adaptation, nature does not demonstrate evolution. There are slight variations in species. There is a big difference between a rooster, a hummingbird, and an ostrich. A huge difference between these birds, but it's still a bird, friends. It's still the same species, and, and God has given species the ability to adapt to its different habitats. 
Nature does not demonstrate macro evolution. It simply demonstrates adaptation. And friends, if it's true that nature demonstrates evolution, then there would be thousands of extinct intermediary species, but there is none that can be found in the fossil record. The only place you find intermediary species is in Hollywood movies. For this cause, evolution must fall under the category of a religion. Why? Because it takes great faith to believe that you came from a rock than to believe that you came from the hands of God. Evolution is not a science, friends. It is unscientific. It falls into the realm of a religion. And by the way, it's a religion that offers no hope no purpose, no meaning for our existence. And when you examine the claims of evolution and compare it with the claims of the Bible, you will discover that it takes way more faith to believe in the religion called evolution than it does to believe in the Word of God. Why? For a few different reasons. Here's one of them. Because wherever there's intelligent design, there first has to be an intelligent designer. What mountain range is this? <clears throat> Mount Rushmore. What would you think of a person who came to Mount Rushmore and said to you, wow, isn't it amazing how the wind and the rain and the elements formed this mountain into the heads of four American presidents all by chance and all by accident? What would you think of a person that said that? Not all there, isn't that right? And why is that? Because this mountain range demonstrates intelligent design. And wherever there's intelligent design, there first had to be an intelligent designer. And the designer is always more intelligent than the design. The more complex the design, the more great and intelligent the designer. And friends, as we study cosmology, geology, biology, anthropology, and human anatomy and physiology, we find design in our world, in our universe, and even in a single cell that is far more complex than what we see at Mount Rushmore. Everything around us demonstrates intelligent design. From the vast galaxies to the smallest single cell, all pointing to a divine designer that made it all. The intricacies of the eye and the complexities of the brain, brothers and sisters, none of us can deny the fact that human life demonstrates intricate and intelligent design. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us in Psalms 139 verse 14. It says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Yes, my brothers and sisters, we did not come from a monkey or a dog. We are human beings made in the image of God. And even though I may look like a monkey, I didn't come from a monkey. Amen? We came from the hands of an all-wise creator. Now, I do believe in the Big Bang theory. The Big Bang, there's two versions of them. The version I believe in is God said it and bang, it happened. For the Bible says that he spake and it was done. And notice what it says in Psalms 33, verse 6 and 9. It says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You see, friends, God's word has creative power. And let me make something clear tonight. There's lots we can say about this, but here's something I want us to understand. There is no controversy between the Bible and science. None whatsoever, friends. The only controversy is against the religion called evolution that is mistakenly called science. 
This religion called evolution was invented by Satan to cause man to forget their creator. And unfortunately, mankind has embraced this false religion. Why? Because man wants to live for himself and not have to answer to a higher being. You see, evolution is a very convenient religion for the natural, carnal, sinful heart that just wants to live for self. Oh, it's an it's a easy and convenient religion for the sinful heart. And friends, as a result of this religion being taught in our schools, children are taught that they're just animals, that their life doesn't matter, that they're just an accident. And friends, when you tell a, a child that he or she is just an accident, that they just came from a monkey, they're not going to disappoint you. They're going to start acting like monkeys and acting like animals. And friends, what is the law of the animal kingdom? Survival of the fittest. Do you realize that it was that principle that came from evolution that gave birth to communism and fascism and many other evil isms and schisms of the world? Evolution is how Hitler rationalized his monstrous behavior in his pursuit for world supremacy. Hitler believed in this doctrine, and, and he believed that the whites were superior species. And by annihilating the other races, he was simply trying to speed up the evolutionary process. He thought that he was doing humanity a favor, speeding up the evolutionary process. And, and because of this satanic belief in evolution, he was able to call that which is evil good and that which was good evil. This hopeless religion devalues the sacredness of life, and many people have taken it to its logical conclusion. And what is that? People say, if I'm here by accident, then nothing really matters. My life doesn't, has no purpose, no direction, and no hope. So why live? Many people have committed suicide and taken their life because they believe that they're not important, that their life doesn't count, and that no one cares about them. But there's good news, friends, tonight. There is someone that cares about us, someone that loves us and takes a personal interest in every aspect of our lives, and our life does count to Him. We're not an accident, friends. We came from His hands, and we're made in His image, and though our lives are messed up and marred by sin, we still bear the image of our Maker in our being. We are children of the, of the King of kings, and that makes us princes and princesses, and because of understanding where we came from, we can stand tall with our chin up, not because we're proud thinking that we're better than others, but because we recognize that we are children of God. Our life matters, and it counts, and we have a God that loves us. Amen? God gave us life, and He put meaning and purpose in the life that He gives to us. And so now that we know our origins, we now know why we're here, our purpose. We're here for the honor and glory of God. And we also know our destiny. Where are we going when it's all been said and done? We're going back to God. But friends, listen, in order for us to fulfill the purpose by which we were created, and in order for us to make it to our eternal destiny that God has planned for us, we must first remember our origins. We must first what? Now that word remember is a very powerful word. We must remember, friends. And so to help us not to forget that we came from God, God from the very beginning of time gave to the entire human race a special sign of love to remind us that our life counts and that He loves us, and He has a plan and purpose for our lives. What is this special sign of love, and to whom did God give it to? Well, friends, when you read in Genesis 1, you read the first week of creation, how God created the world in six literal days. God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light, and when God saw the light, He said, it is good. It is what? 
the light was good, friends. Then God, he created the, the atmosphere and he caused the, the waters to come together and the dry land to appear and then the, the flowers and the trees filled with fruits and all these beautiful plants and, and, and the birds of the air and the fishes of the sea and the beasts of the, of the field. He created all these things and every single day, God repeats something over and over after he created. He said, it is good, it is good, it is good. Why? Because God is good. Amen. God is good, and he created all these things by his word. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So when God spoke good things into existence, his good creation was an expression or a reflection of the goodness of his heart. All that God made was good. And God created the beautiful plants and the flowers and the earth. And after, he created all these things. On the last part of the sixth day of the week, God would then create his, crea his crowning act of creation. God would create mankind in his own image. And friends, when it came to man, God did not speak humanity into existence like he did the birds and the fishes and the beasts and the plants and the flowers and the light. The Bible tells us that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In other words, God used his hands and his own breath to make humanity in his own image. Now, let me ask you a question. Could God have just spoken us into existence, yes or no? Yes, I mean, he did it with everything else. It would have been a lot faster if he just spoke us into existence. Well, then why did he not speak us into existence? Why did he take extra special time with us with his hands? The answer is very simple. It's because action speaks louder than words. God wanted humanity to understand that we're not like the fishes and the birds and the monkeys and the beasts like what evolution would cause us to believe. God wanted us to understand that we are special, that we were made in His image for His glory to reflect His love to the universe. And so God created man. And then from the side of man, He created woman, brought them together in holy matrimony. God is the one that created the marriage institution. And after God created that, the humanity, he then changed it a little bit. He didn't say it's good. He then said it is very good. Amen? It became very good after God made humanity. But then after that, after God created man, at the last part of the sixth day of the week, God then would create a special sign for man to remember how special he is. And this was to be an eternal memorial of creation. Well, what exactly was, was this sign of love? Well, let's read it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Please write it down. Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth were what? Finished. It is what? Finished. Keep that in mind. And the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And then notice, God does three things on this seventh day. And God did what? Blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And so after creating the world in six literal days, everything was finished. It is finished on the sixth day. Then God creates the seventh and he does three things. He blessed the seventh day. He rested upon it, not because he was tired, but because he was satisfied. Uh, he did not rest in exhaustion, but rather satisfaction of what he'd made. And then 
the Bible says he sanctified it. Now, that word sanctified is important for our study tonight. The word sanctified literally means to set apart for a holy use. What does the word sanctified mean? Set apart for a holy use. I want you to remember that. In other words, the seventh day of the week, God set apart from the rest of the six days. And he set it apart for holiness because that seventh day, unlike the rest of the six days, that seventh day was to be the holy day of the Lord, the day that we would rest and remember the one that made all things. Now, friends, remember everything was good that God made. And if the light was good, if the trees were good, if the fruits were good, if the, if the beasts were good, and if man was good, tell me, was the seventh-day Sabbath good? Yes or no? Of course it was. It's all good. Amen? Now, who did God create the light for? Did He create it for one race or for the entire human race? He created it for the entire human race. Who did He create the fruits for? One race or for all races? For all. I'm thankful that every race can enjoy mangoes and coconuts. Amen? Who did God create marriage for? One race or for the entire human race? For all. And so who do you suppose God created the seven-day Sabbath for? For one race or for all races? For the entire human race, not just for Jews, friends. In fact, in Eden, there was no Jew that existed. He created the Sabbath for mankind, and that's what Jesus says in Mark 2, 27. Please write it down. The Bible tells us, Christ speaking, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, friends, the Sabbath was the gift of God, a, a, a gift of love that He gave to the entire human race from the very beginning before sin came into the world. And friends, the reason why God gave the Sabbath for mankind is because God knew that if man was to work seven days a week nonstop, man would work himself to death. Thus, God gave to man not so much a holiday, but a holy day every seventh day of the week, an entire 24-hour period to reconnect with God and the family of God, a time to unplug completely from the world and plug into the rest of God. You see, in the beginning, God created a time to remember, not a place to remember, but a time. Why not a place? Because think about it. If God would have created a specific place to remember in the world, then those who are rich and able to travel would flock to that place on spiritual pilgrimages. But those who are poor wouldn't have that opportunity. So instead of creating a place to remember, God created a time to remember. Why? Because time is equally distributed to both the rich and the poor, no matter where you live in the world. Every one of us have 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And that's the reason why he created a specific time to remember. And in his eternal law that he wrote with his own finger on tablets of stone, God commanded the world to remember this special seven-day Sabbath. Notice what it says in the fourth commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, please write it down and notice what it says. What is the first word of this, of this commandment? It is what? And it's interesting. This is the only commandment that begins with the word remember. And we're going to see that the reason why is because God knew that this is perhaps the main one that his people would forget. So it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the what? Notice it doesn't say a seventh day, but it says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Jews. The Lord thy God, it is the Lord's day. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So God says to remember the seventh day, do not work on that day. 
And then he gives us the reason why he wants us to remember it in the commandment itself, and he points us back to creation as the reason. Notice what it says. For in six days the Lord did what? Made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Then it repeats the three things God did on the Sabbath. And rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That word hallowed means to make holy. It's the same thing as sanctify. So it's interesting, friends. God thought that this day was so important that He placed it in the heart of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. He commands the world to remember. And the last time I checked, friends, it wasn't called the Ten Suggestions or the Ten Opinions. It was called the Ten Commandments. Can you say amen? And friends, it's interesting that the only commandment that God specifically uses the word remember is the very one that not only the world, but most of the Christian world has forgotten. It's interesting that no one has forgotten nine of the Ten Commandments, but when it comes to that fourth commandment that specifically says, remember the seven-day Sabbath, that's the one that people have either ignored or forgotten completely. Now here, that begs the question, is one command of God less important than the others? Absolutely not, friends. All of them God wrote Himself with His own finger on tablets of stone. And the reason why this is important is because there's no such thing as getting a 10% discount when it comes to the Ten Commandments. All of them are important. Notice what the New Testament says. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, this is the New Testament. It says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law. How much of the law? And by the way, if you read the context, the verses before and after, the law that it's referring to is the Ten Commandments. And so it says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in how many points? One point, he is guilty of how much? Of all. In other words, God does not give 10% discounts when it comes to his law. All of them are important. The Bible says if you keep all of them except for one, you become guilty of all. And so every single one of them is important, friends. The, the commandment that says thou shalt not kill is important. The commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain is important. The, the one that says, Do not commit adultery is important. So too the one that says, Remember the seven-day Sabbath. But unfortunately, people have forgotten it. And for this reason, God in the book of Revelation is sending a special message to the whole world, pointing people back to the special seven-day Sabbath, a worldwide call to worship the Creator. I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and, uh, and verse 7, we read this on previous nights. It's the everlasting gospel given to the whole world. And notice what it says. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And do what? Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Friends, remember on our first night out here, we discussed the nature of Revelation, and we shared how Revelation is built upon the broad foundation of the Old Testament Scriptures. Out of the 404 verses in Revelation, over 274 of them are direct quotations from the Old Testament. And in the entire book of Revelation, this verse right here is the strongest quotation from the Old Testament Scriptures you will ever find in the book of Revelation. When the angel says, worship him that made heaven and earth, 
the sea, and the fountains of waters. That's the strongest quotation from the Old Testament found in the book of Revelation. And would you like to guess where it's quoting from? It's quoting directly from the fourth commandment. In other words, a part of God's final everlasting gospel message given in the last days to the world is a call back to the fourth commandment to remember the day that God specifically called us to rest and remember Him. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to survey the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, and we're going to see how God has been calling man to remember Him and His special sign down throughout the ages. We're going to look at the history of this. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a special sign between God and His people. We studied last night how Abraham, the father of faith, he was a commandment keeper. He kept the commandments of God, and that included the Sabbath. He passed these beautiful truths down to his children, but then we, as you follow the Bible narrative, we find that, 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 that the children of Abraham, when they, were found, they found themselves in the bitter bondage of Egypt, and as slaves, they were forced to work seven days a week without any rest at all. And friends, when you're constantly working, it's easy to forget the weekly cycle. Isn't that right? And though they forgot, God did not forget them. God then sent them a deliverer to set them free from the bondage of nonstop work so that as a free people, they could rest and remember and worship their Creator. And so He brought them out of the bondage of Egypt, heading them to the, uh, or leading them to the promised land. On the way there, God reinstituted the weekly cycle. I want you to notice, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 16. Thank you so much. Exodus chapter 16, please open there with me. That's the second book of the Bible. And we're going, that's page 78 if you're using the Seminar Bible. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Exodus chapter 16, page 78 if you're using our Seminar Bible. God reinstitutes the weekly cycle, and I want you to notice how He did it. Very interesting. In the wilderness, Israel was hungry. They wanted some food. And so God, the great provider, said, I will provide for your physical necessities as long as you trust and listen and obey me. And so what he did was he promised them that he would rain down manna from heaven to satisfy their hunger. And in so doing, he was also reinstituting the weekly cycle and the seven-day Sabbath that they had forgotten about when they were in the bondage of Egypt. Notice what it says, Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 26. If you're there, would you please say amen? The Bible says in Exodus 16, 26, Six days shall you gather it, talking about the heavenly bread, but on the seventh day, which is the what? Sabbath, in it there shall be how much? In it there shall be none. Verse 27, And it came to pass that there went out some of, some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore, He gives you on the sixth day. On the what day? The sixth day, the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. So notice what's happening here. God says, I'm going to provide for your food. I'll rain down bread from heaven. And you're to gather it every single day. For the first five days, they had a, a daily portion of bread. But then on the sixth day, there will be a double portion because on the seventh day, there will be none. 
And so the Israelites, they would go out every morning, they would gather their daily bread, and, 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 and they had food enough to eat for that day. But there were some people who were lazy and perhaps wanted to sleep in the next morning. So what they did was they tried to gather an extra portion of bread to last to the next day, but whatever extra they gathered would not last to the following day. If they wanted to eat, they had to go every single day. Through this, God was teaching His people daily dependence on Him. What kind of dependence? To depend on God every day. And when Jesus told us to pray, He said that we need to pray and say, give us this day our weekly bread. Is that what it says? Our what kind of bread? Our daily bread, friends. We're to eat the bread of life every single day. It's daily dependence. But unfortunately, many people only eat once a week when they go to church. No wonder why we have so much spiritual weaklings in the world. They're being spoon-fed by the minister, but they're not eating for themselves the Word of God, the bread of life, every single day. And so what happened? They, they gathered their portion every day, but on the sixth day, the what day? The Bible calls the sixth day the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. God would rain down a double portion of bread. And the extra portion that the people of God gathered on the sixth day was preserved to the seventh. Why? Because on the seventh, which was the Sabbath, no bread from heaven fell. Why? Because that was the Sabbath. God wanted His people to rest. Not only that, but God did not want His people to worry about their physical necessities. Don't worry about your physical necessities. I'll take care of you. I got your back. Just trust me and rest in me. And so that's what happened every single week for the entire 40 years the Israelites were in the wilderness. So I want you to notice, friends, something interesting. God performed at least three miracles per week. He rained down bread from heaven. There was a double portion on the sixth day. And that, and there was, that double portion was preserved to the seventh. So at least three miracles every single week. He did this for 52 weeks per year for the entire 40 years. If you do the math, how many miracles is that? 6,240 miracles that God performed simply to reinstitute the weekly cycle. You will not find God performing that amount of miracles for anything else, friends, which shows that this had to have been very important to God. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? This was a test for man to trust in God as their provider. It was a special sign between God and man, a sign that, that God would take care of our physical food as long as we put our trust in Him. And it's the same for us today, friends. When we rest in Christ, God will always provide for our physical necessities. He'll always take care of us, friends. You don't have to worry about where you're gonna, how you're going to eat and how you're going to provide for your family. When you put God first and honor Him and keep the Sabbath, He will always take care of you. The story of the manna is evidence of that. Amen? Now, I want you to notice the Sabbath was also a sign of, of the fact that God is the only one that can save us. A sign between God and His people that we're saved only by grace and grace alone. Notice in, in Ezekiel 20 and verse 12. The Bible says in Ezekiel 20 verse 12, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? <clears throat> a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that does what? Sanctus. So the Sabbath was a sign between us and God for us to remember that He is the Lord, the one that sanctifies us. Tell me, friends, what does the word sanctified mean? Set apart for a holy use. The same God that set apart the seventh day of the week for a holy use wants to do that in our lives, friends. Sanctification is God setting us apart from the world and making us like Him. And when we keep the Sabbath, 
it's a sign that we acknowledge that God is the only one that can do that for us. And friends, the reason why that's important is because many people believe that those who keep the Sabbath are legalists that are trying to work their way to heaven. But keeping the Sabbath actually represents the opposite to legalism. You see, when you keep the Sabbath, you are acknowledging to God in the world, you're basically saying this, Lord, I understand and believe that if I work seven days a week nonstop, I can never work my way to heaven. All my righteousness is like filthy rags. Therefore, I am resting in the day that you set apart. I'm resting in the work that you're doing in my life, recognizing that, that I could never sanctify myself. I can never save myself. All my good deeds are tainted with sin and selfishness. Therefore, I'm resting in the work that you're doing. It's a sign that the Lord is the one that's doing the work of sanctification in our lives, thus adding a beautiful element to the Sabbath. It's not just a memorial of creation, but it's a memorial of salvation by God's grace alone. We're not working. We're resting in the work that God is doing and has done in our lives. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? And so the Sabbath is definitely not a legalistic day, friends. It's a day that points us to salvation by the grace of God, the Lord, the only one that can save or sanctify us. Now I want you to notice as we continue. Many people wonder, uh, well, that's the Old Testament, but what about the New Testament? I mean, didn't Jesus come to do away with the law or to change the Sabbath? Well, let's find out if that's true. That's an assumption, but let's see if it's biblical. In Matthew 5, verse 17, please write it down. This is the words of Jesus. We read this last night. When Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to... Uh, and some people think that the word fulfill means to destroy or to get rid of. If that's what it meant, the verse, would it make sense? I have not come to destroy, but to destroy? No, friends, the word fulfill doesn't mean to get rid of or destroy. The word fulfill literally means to fill to the full, to live it out. In the Greek, it means to establish more fully. To do what? In other words, Christ did not come to change the law. The prophets, the Sabbath, no, he didn't come to do this. He said, don't even think that I'm come. I'm not come to do this. I'm come to fulfill it, to live it out, to fill it to its full measure, thus establishing it more fully in our lives. And friends, the reason why is Jesus, one of the reasons why he came to do this is this. You see, during Christ's time, the Pharisees and the religious people were keeping the law of God legalistically. They were doing it, trying to earn their, 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 their salvation. And the Pharisees attached many man-made rules, requirements, and regulations to the seven-day Sabbath. They, the, the legalists attaching their own man-made ideas to it robbed the Sabbath of the joy of which it, of which it originally had. And Christ came to remove the heavy yoke, the man-made rules that the Pharisees placed upon the Sabbath. And he came to show us what it means to keep the law, what it means to keep the Sabbath in joy and holiness and rest. And he did it by, uh, by giving us his own example to follow. Here's the point, friends. The Pharisees made the Sabbath a burden, but Christ restored it as the blessing it originally was supposed to be. Can you say amen? By showing us what it means to enter into the rest, the sweet rest of the Lord. And many people get confused. They think that because Jesus was against the legalistic way people kept the Sabbath, that somehow he was against the Sabbath. No, friends. 
people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They're getting rid of the Sabbath as well as legalism at the same time. But friends, get rid of the legalism. Keep that precious baby. Can you say amen? Keep that precious Sabbath. That's what God has given to us. In fact, notice in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, this is referring to Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And so we find Jesus in his own life fulfilling the law by living it out, establishing it more fully, not changing it, not destroying it, but establishing it, showing us how to keep it by his own example. And friends, if it was good enough for Christ, it's good enough for us as well. Can you say amen? Now, we did learn last night that there was a law that was nailed to the cross, a law that is no longer necessary to keep because Jesus died, but it wasn't the Ten Commandments. Which law was it that was nailed to the cross? It was the ceremonial law, friends. The ceremonial sacrificial laws. Notice Colossians 2 verse 14 doesn't deal with the Ten Commandments. It deals with the ordinances. Notice what it says. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. You see, it was those handwriting of ordinances that was nailed to the cross. And the reason why? Because the nature of these ordinances is that they were temporal prophecies pointing to Jesus. In Colossians 2, now verse 17, it says, Which are a what? Shadow of things to come, but the body is of who? So those handwriting of ordinances, they were shadows pointing to things to come, which is Christ. But the seven-day Sabbath did not so much point us of things to come. It rather pointed us backwards to creation. But rather the ceremonial laws, the sacrificial services, these are the laws that pointed us to the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus comes in the flesh and dies on the cross, everything associated with that earthly sacrificial service comes to an end in Jesus. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? Now, friends, listen carefully. A part of this ceremonial law that was nailed to the cross were also these ceremonial feast days that also pointed and taught us about the ministry of Christ. These feast days in the Bible were also called Sabbaths because on those days, God wanted His people to rest. An example, like, the, the, like Passover and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Trumpets and Pentecost, these were different feast days attached or that were a part of the ceremonial laws. And many people confuse the seventh-day Sabbath with the yearly feast Sabbaths. And there are some people that try to put them on an equal plane, but I want to share, show you that they are a part of two different and distinctive laws. The seven-day Sabbath was a part of the Ten Commandments. It fell, but the feast Sabbaths were part of the ceremonial ordinances. Seven-day Sabbath fell every week, every seventh day of the week. The yearly feast Sabbaths fell on different days throughout the year. Seven-day Sabbath was given before sin ever existed in the Garden of Eden. Feast Sabbaths were given after sin because it would teach us about the mission of the Savior to sin, Jesus. Seven-day Sabbath written by God's finger. Feast Sabbaths handwritten by Moses. Seven-day Sabbath written on stone. Feast Sabbaths written in a book. Seven-day Sabbath placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Feast Sabbath with the Book of the Law placed on the side of the Ark. Seven-day Sabbath will last for eternity, whereas the Feast Sabbaths with the rest of the ceremonies were nailed to the cross. Friends, the main point in bringing that up is this. Jesus did not come to change or get rid of the moral law of the Ten Commandments, 
but rather it was the ceremonial law that was finished at the cross. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now, friends, there's a lot more we can say on that. We don't have the time, unfortunately, but I'm going to give you a handout on your way out tonight that answers the question, should Christians keep the ceremonial feast Sabbaths of the Old Testament? And that handout will explain it in detail that, it, that when we understand these feast days and how it points us to the ministry of Christ, it's no longer necessary to keep these days in a literal sense. And the handout tonight will explain that in detail. But the main thing we know for sure is that the Ten Commandments with the fourth that says, remember the Sabbath, still remains after the cross. Just like what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 tells us. There remains therefore a what? And that word rest in the Greek is the word Sabbath. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Hebrews was written after the cross, after the resurrection, and still there remains a Sabbath for the people of God. Now if that's clear, once again, please say amen. Now, friends, many people uh, are wondering, well, it's clear that the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, but what day is the seventh day of the week? There's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and many people are confused, and, you know, they think that, you know, we, we don't know really which day is the seventh day of the week. Well, let me ask you a question, friends. If we did not know what day the seventh day of the week was, then we would not be able to keep the Sabbath. And here's the question, would it be fair for God to ask us to do something that's impossible for us to do? Would that be fair, yes or no? Of course not, friends. If we didn't know what day the seventh day of the week was, then we would not be able to keep the Sabbath. And therefore, to, for God to ask, command us to do it when we couldn't do it would be unfair. But God is a fair and a just God. Can you say amen? And He's made it abundantly clear which day the seventh day of the week is. He's not left us to guess, friends. There are many different ways we can know. And here are some of them. The Bible makes it clear. Not only the Bible, but also the dictionary makes it clear. Calendars, even astronomy and language make it clear. But first, let's go to the Bible to see which day is the seventh day of the week. Please turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, what chapter are we going to? Luke chapter 23, page 1046, if you're using our seminar Bible. Friends, remember what we're doing tonight. Tonight, we're defining what the eternal sign is. Tomorrow night, we'll discover why it is so important. So, you know, I know tonight's message is somewhat of an informational message, uh, just kind of a proof texting message. And the reason why is because we want to get a good, solid foundation. Your house is only as strong as your what? Your foundation. And so tonight's message is really foundation for tomorrow. Tonight we define what? Tomorrow night we will see why the what is so important as it relates to Bible prophecy. But notice, what day is the seventh day of the week? Let's read in Luke chapter 23, that's page 1046, beginning with verse 53. This is referring to the events surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Notice what the Bible says. Luke 23, verse 53, if you're there, please say amen. It says, And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the what? Preparation. And the Sabbath drew on. So notice, Jesus dies on what the Bible calls the preparation day. The Sabbath drew on. Thus, the preparation day is the day before the Sabbath. Then notice, verse 55. 
And the woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the what? The commandment. So here we find Jesus dies on the sixth day of the week, the day the Bible calls the preparation day. He's laid in the tomb and rests in death on the Sabbath. And that's interesting because remember, friends, that just before Jesus died, he said three words. He said, it is finished. And after it is finished, on the last part of the sixth day of the week, he then rests the very next day, the seven-day Sabbath, in the tomb. Friends, when was the last time in the Bible that it was finished on the sixth day and then God rest on the seventh? All the way back at creation. Remember, God created the world in six days. In the last part of the sixth day of the week, the heavens and the earth were finished. And then God creates the seventh day and he rests upon it. And so we find something powerful. That which God did in creation, he repeats in recreation. That which God did when he created man, he does again when he dies and redeems man from sin by hanging on the cross, thus adding another beautiful dimension to the seven-day Sabbath. The Sabbath not only points us back to God our creator and God our provider, God our commander, God our sanctifier, but also God our savior, the one that died on the sixth day and rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. And friends, when you celebrate the Sabbath, that's what you're celebrating. You're, you're cel celebrating the supremacy of the Lord and Savior, the Creator and the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? And now notice what happens, what day Jesus resurrects. Luke 24 and verse 1, it says, Now upon the what number day of the week? The first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he had risen. And what day of the week does the Bible say he was, he was risen? On the first day of the week in the morning. So we find the sequence of events. I want you to notice carefully. The order of events. Jesus dies on the sixth day of the week. The Bible calls that the preparation day. After he dies, he rests in the tomb on the seventh day of the week, the day after the sixth day. That's the Sabbath day, according to the commandment. Then he resurrects from the grave on the first day of the week. And so, friends, the day between the resurrection day and the preparation day is the seventh-day Sabbath. Well, friends, what day did Jesus die? We call that day, the sixth day of the week, we call it Good Friday. And the day that Jesus resurrected, we call it Easter Sunday. And so the day between Friday and Sunday is the seventh day of the week. The true Sabbath it is Saturday, friends, the seventh day of the week. And by the way, you can also look into the dictionary. It gives us a clear definition. In Webster Dictionary, if you look up the word Saturday, the definition is the seventh day of the week. If you look up the word Sunday, the definition is the first day of the week. And everyone agrees with that. We can also see this in most calendars today. Look on your calendar, it points to the seventh day of the week as Saturday, and Sunday being the first day of the week. And by the way, the seven-day Sabbath, which we call Saturday, is the days that even the Jews, who are strict keepers of time, still keep as the Sabbath today. Now, after going through that, some might be wondering, well, well haven't the days been lost? How do we know that the weekly cycle is still accurate today? 
or through the study of astronomy, it confirms that the weekly cycle has never been changed. In fact, notice the testimony of the United States Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. Here's what they said concerning those who had a question about the weekly cycle. We have had the occasion to investigate the works of, sp the works of specialists in chronology, and we have not found one of them that ever had the slightest doubt about the continuity of the weekly cycle into the Christian era. When you study the calendar, you'll find that calendar days have been altered, but the days of the week, friends, the seventh-day weekly cycle has never been changed. The seventh-day Sabbath in Christ's time is, would be the day that we call Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And another way we can know for sure what day the seventh day of the week is, is through language. Did you know that in over a hundred languages around the world, the word for the seventh day of the week is not Saturday, but it's the Sabbath. I want you to notice a few examples of this. In Hebrew, it's the word Shabbat. Can you say that? It means Sabbath, not Saturday. In Greek, it's Sabbaton. Portuguese and Spanish, it's Sabado. Friends, when someone says Sabado, they're not saying Saturday. They're literally saying Sabbath. In, it, in Italian and Swahili, it's Sabato. In Russian, it's Subata. Polish, Sobota. Arabic, Sabbat. In French, Samedi. Armenian, Shabbat. In Norwegian, Lord Dog. And that one is very different from the rest. Why Lord Dog? It stands for the Lord's Day. Why? Because what day of the week is the Lord's Day? Not Sunday, friends, but Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. That is the true Lord's day. And so, friends, it's abundantly clear. No one argues this. The seventh day of the week is the, is the Sabbath. We call that day Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And so if that's the truth, then the next logical question you might be asking is this. Well, if that's true, why do most people keep Sunday as the Sabbath when Sunday is not the seventh day? Why are people keeping the first day of the week? And friends, the answer is very simple because that's the day of the week that Jesus resurrected from the grave. And many people assume, what word was that? That because Christ resurrected on the first day, that that somehow changed what God wrote with his own finger on tablets of stone. And we can't just do something based off an, an assumption. We have to have biblical evidence as to why we believe what we believe and do what we do. And so we need to ask the question now. Did Christ change the Sabbath in honor of His resurrection? You can't find not even one verse that supports this idea that is being propagated in, in the world and the Christian world today. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite, and I want to show it to you right now. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was prophesying about the coming destruction of the city of Jerusalem. He said to the, to the disciples that you're going to see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, and when you see this, I need you to flee into the mountains for your life. And then he added a very important piece of counsel. He told them this in Matthew 24, verse 20. Please write it down. Christ said, But pray that your flight be not in the when? Winter, neither on the what day? The Sabbath day. Jesus said, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The armies will come, and you're going to have to flee into the wilderness. But pray that you don't have to flee in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Question, why would Jesus ask his disciples to pray that they wouldn't have to flee in the winter or the Sabbath day? The answer is simple, friends. 
If they had to flee in the winter, it would be hard to survive in the wilderness in the cold winter months. So he said, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. But also pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath day. Why? Because the commotion and stress of being attacked on the Sabbath day would have robbed them of the rest of the Sabbath. They would not have been able to rest. They would have, if they were attacked on the Sabbath, that would have caused them to break the Sabbath. And Jesus asked them, prayed that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Why? Because he didn't want them to break the Sabbath. Not even to save their lives, much less to save their jobs, friends. Now, here's the question. Do you think that Jesus knew exactly when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed? Did he know when that was, would happen, yes or no? Of course. And when was Jerusalem destroyed? It happened about 40 years after the resurrection in the year A.D. 70. Jesus knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed after the resurrection, and yet he still asked the disciples to pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath. Now, here's the, here's the point. If the resurrection would change the Sabbath to the first day of the week, Jesus, knowing that, would have told the disciples, pray that you don't have to flee on the first day of the week. But he didn't. He told them, pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. The point, Christ intended his disciples to continue to keep the Sabbath even 40 years after the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection did not change what God wrote with his own finger on tablets of stone. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? And by the way, God answered the prayer of his people. They ended up fleeing on a Wednesday in the middle of the week in the warmer autumn month of October in the year A.D. 70. And so 40 years after the resurrection, they continued to keep the Sabbath. Now, some people ask, but didn't the apostles keep Sunday, the first day of the week, after the resurrection? Again, this cannot be substantiated from Scripture. In fact, the New Testament records the early apostolic church continuing to keep the Sabbath, both Jew and Gentile alike, over 80 times in the New Testament. How many times? Now, let's take a look at all 80 times very quickly right now. And don't worry, it's going to take just a few minutes. Don't worry about that. Notice, please write these scriptures down. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 14, remember, friends, what we're doing tonight, we're getting a good, solid foundation as to what the sign is. Tomorrow night, we will see why it's important. So we're going from verse to verse, very informational, because many people need this, because uh, people have so much questions about the Sabbath. That's why we're taking all the time looking up these verses, and I hope you can appreciate that tonight. But notice, Acts 13, 14. And they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. This is the early church keeping the Sabbath day after the resurrection. Now, on this particular day, the Jews asked Paul to preach to them. And so Paul preached the sermon on that Sabbath day. And if the Sabbath was changed because of the resurrection, Paul would have told them so because the apostle Paul was converted three and a half years after the resurrection of Christ. So if the resurrection made a change, surely Paul would know about it, and surely he would make it known in his writings, but he doesn't because there was no change. And I want you to notice what happened after the sermon was finished. In verse 42 to 44, write it down. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, the who? Besought that these words might be preached to them when? The next Sabbath. So notice what's happening. The church service is finished. Now, the Gentiles asked Paul to preach the sermon the following Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. If the Sabbath was changed because of the resurrection to Sunday, the first day of the week, or if the Sabbath was just for the Jews, 
and Sunday was for the Gentiles, then Paul would have told these Gentile believers, you don't have to wait till next Sabbath. Just come tomorrow, and we can have Sunday school together. But he doesn't say that, friends, because there was never a change. In fact, notice what happens. In verse 44, it says, Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuaded them to, what is this word right here? Continue in the what? Grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So these Gentile believers, they were not under the law. They were under grace. These were grace-filled Christians. Why? Because you cannot continue in something that you're not already in to begin with. Is that logical? So to continue in something means that they're already in it. These were grace-filled Christians, and yet they still kept the seven-day Sabbath. Just, be, just like what we said last night. Because, friends, the Sabbath day is a grace-filled day. It points us to salvation by grace through our Lord, our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Provider, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Now, sometimes the early church did not have a place to worship, so they would go out and worship in nature amongst God's creation. Acts 16, 13, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Remember, it's not the place that's holy, it's the time that's holy. And so they would worship God in, in nature. Now notice another one, Acts 18 and verse 4. This is when Paul was in Corinth, and it says, And he reads it in the synagogue, how often? Every Sabbath, and persuaded who? The Jews and the Greeks. So both Jew and Gentile believers, the Sabbath was for all. And this he did every single Sabbath. And by the way, he was in Corinth for a year and a half, according to verse 11. And how many Sabbaths will go in a year and a half? 78 Sabbaths. And that's where we cover most of the 80 times in the New Testament where it describes God's people keeping the Sabbath. So we find both Jew and Gentile, both Old and New Testament, God's people kept the Sabbath. It was a special sign between him and his people. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? Now, some of you might be wondering, well, but what about Acts chapter 20? I mean, didn't the disciples worship the Lord on the first day of the week in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts? Didn't they break bread together and have a church service when Paul preached? Now, friends, listen carefully. I believe that the apostles not only worship God on the seventh day, they worship God every single day of the week. You see, worship is, is something that we need to do every single day. And when it comes to the Sabbath, the Sabbath is not just a day of worship. It's 24 hours of rest, not working, not doing uh, any secular thing is to keep holy. And so here's the point. We can worship God every single day. We can worship God while we work. Amen? We can have a song in our heart, a prayer in our mind while we're working. But we, keep, we can't keep every day holy while we're working. You see, while we worship God every day, we can't keep every day holy. Why? Because not every day is holy to begin with. God said in the commandment, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seven days the Sabbath. In other words, God created the six days to be common days of work. And he said, the seven days, the one that I've sanctified. Now, man cannot make anything holy. Can, you, can anyone make anything holy here? We're unholy people. And the unholy can't make anything holy. Much less can we make a holy day, friends. That's why God did not say make the Sabbath holy. He said keep the Sabbath holy because it's already holy to begin with. And if we cannot make a day 
neither can we make any day holy. So it's not as if we can say, okay, Lord, uh, my day off is on this day, on Tuesday, so I'm going to keep this as the Sabbath. No, friends, it doesn't work like that because that day only, uh, is not holy. Only God can make a holy day. And, so, and by the way, friends, this is something very interesting. I want you to consider with me. If God would have created the world in five days, which number day would be the Sabbath? The sixth one, right? Just the day after he was finished. If God would have created the world in three days, which day would be the Sabbath? The fourth. If God created the world in two days, which day would be the Sabbath? If God would have created the world in one day, which day would be the Sabbath? The second day. Friends, what day of the week is the only day that can never, 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 never be the Sabbath day? The first day of the week, friends. It can never be the Sabbath day. Why? Because God works first, so he has to have a day in which he works. And then he rests after he works. And that's a very interesting thought, that the only day that can never be the Sabbath is the one that people say is the Sabbath, the first day of the week. And so now let's go and find out what's happening in Acts 20. Just because they worship on the first day didn't mean that it made it holy. We worship every day, but only one day is holy. So what, what took place in Acts 20? Notice what it says, verses 7 through 9. Upon the first day of the week, the one number day of the week? When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until what time? Midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Why many lights? Because it was nighttime. So notice, friends, it's the first day of the week, but what part of the first day of the week? Daytime or nighttime? Nighttime, the dark part of the first day of the week. Paul is preaching, they're breaking bread, and he is ready to leave when? On the morrow, the next day or the next morning. And notice what happens here, the next verse. It says, And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep as Paul was long preaching. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And some of you are thinking, oh, that's a powerful lesson, preacher. The lesson is don't preach long sermons. That's not the lesson. The lesson I get from this is don't fall asleep in church <laughs> or you just might end up dead. <laughs> so, friends, I'll try not to preach too long and you don't fall asleep on me. We'll meet each other halfway. Sound good? All right, so what's happening here is amazing. It's the first day of the week. We know that's Sunday, the first day, but it's the dark part of the first day of the week. Paul preaches until midnight. The next day, morning, morrow, he's going to leave. Well, friends, what is the dark part of the first day of the week? When do the days begin and end according to the Bible? We begin and end days from midnight to midnight, but that's not found in the Bible. The way in which the Bible begins and ends days is from sunset to sunset or from evening to evening. I want you to write down these scriptures. Look it up when you get home. When do the days begin and end? Leviticus 23, 32 tells us clearly that from even to even shall we celebrate the Sabbath. Not from midnight to midnight or morning to morning, but from even to even. From when shall we celebrate the Sabbath? Now, when is even? Mark 1, 32, the Bible interprets itself. Mark 1.32 says, at even when the sun did set. So when do the days begin and end? 
sunset to sunset. That makes sense because in the creation, God created, and he said in the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. Evening and the morning was the third day. So the day starts in the evening and then following the morning. And so it's the dark part of the first day of the week. Friends, when does Sunday actually begin? On what we would call Saturday night, friends. Saturday night when the sun sets, that's the beginning of the first day of the week. And what we see here in Acts chapter 20 is exactly that. The early church worshiped God all Sabbath long, undoubtedly. And then on Saturday night when the sun set, they began the first day of the week, and Paul continued to preach until midnight. He had lots to say. And then the next morning, which we would call Sunday morning, instead of staying around for Sunday school and church service, Paul walked a very long distance to another place. Why? Because that day wasn't special or holy or sanctified. Even though this was after the resurrection, it wasn't special at all. It was a common day for common travel and common things. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 20. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Therefore, if the first day of the week begins Saturday night to Sunday night, then when does the seventh day of the week actually begin? On what we would call Friday night. And it would end on Saturday night, or, or excuse me, uh, Friday evening when the sun sets, ending Saturday evening when the sun sets. And friends, do you realize what time it is? Do you realize we, we, we call this day Friday, but biblically when the sun set today, we have actually entered into the sacred, holy, blessed, joyful hours of the seventh-day Sabbath where God has promised an extra special blessing for each and every one of us, a blessing that's not found on any other day of the week. And if you're hearing this for the very first time, I want to be the first one to wish each one of you a very Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath, folks. You know, Sabbath is a happy day. It's the day that Jesus rested. It's the day that he set apart for us to remember that, that we're special, that he made us in his image. It's the day for us to, to remember that he is our sanctifier, our provider, our savior, our loving Lord. It's a special sign for all of God's children. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Can you say amen? Now, friends, we also find as we continue, we're almost uh, coming to the end of our presentation, that God's end-time people will also keep the Sabbath as well. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 14 and verse 12, describes the end-time saints, and notice their description. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the what? Commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God's people in the last days, they not only have faith, but they have a faith that works because they love the Lord Jesus. They keep not just nine commandments, they keep all ten because all of them are important to God. And friends, you realize that not only are we going to be keeping the Sabbath in the last days on earth, we're also going to be keeping the Sabbath in heaven, friends. It's Revelation's eternal sign of love. Notice in Isaiah 66, 22 and 23, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. You see, friends, the Sabbath will continue to exist throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. It existed before sin existed. It will continue to exist after sin is eradicated. It is God's 
eternal sign of love for you and me. And friends, I want to keep the Sabbath in heaven. How about you? Before we can keep it up there, let's, let's start by keeping it down here because let me tell you, the Sabbath is a taste of heaven on earth. A 24-hour period to unplug completely from the world and to rest and remember the goodness and the mercy of our God. Now, friends, after going through all of those scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, many people still ask, well, does it really make a difference? Does a day, is God that particular? People say, well, can I just choose one day out of seven? Can I do what, what, what most people are doing in the world today? Well, let me answer that question with a question, friends. Can we ever trust our own reasoning? No, friends. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It may seem right to us to choose one day out of seven. It may seem right to us to choose the first day of the week because that's what everyone else is doing. But friends, if it's not found in the Bible, if it's against God's law, it will lead to death because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You see, friends, it's not about my preference. It's about His precepts. It's not about my convenience. It's about His commandments. God's Word and His law is the standard of right and wrong, not popular opinion, not what a church says or the interpretations of a man, but the Bible and the Bible alone. And friends, we can't treat God's Word and God's law like a buffet. What do you do at a buffet? You pick and choose. Isn't that right? Take a little bit of this and you skip that. Take a little bit of that and you skip the other. Well, friends, God's Word is not a buffet. It's a full-course meal. Jesus said that we should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so all of them are important because God gave them to be a blessing to humanity. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now, friends, if God said keep Tuesday, I would keep Tuesday. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not hung up on a day. But I just want to be faithful to that which God has revealed to us in His holy word. And the Sabbath is a sign that we trust in the authority, not of man, not in what my pastor says, not in what all the church people are doing. Sabbath keeping is a sign of our trust in the authority of God's holy word in our lives. And we must be consistent when we do this. But some people say, but it doesn't really matter what day you worship. As long as you worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus said you're a true worshiper. And he did say that, friends. He said the part where the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. But friends, what does that mean? What is truth? The Bible tells us what truth is in Psalms 119 and verse 151. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are what? So to worship God in spirit and in truth is to worship God according to all of his commandments not just nine but every single one of them including the fourth and that is clear and that is consistent now after sharing that many people <clears throat> let me allow me to make a bold statement if you can find one verse in the bible how many you can study as long as you want from genesis to revelation and if you can find one verse in the bible that says that we ought to keep the first day of the week as the sabbath or that we don't have to keep the seventh-day Sabbath anymore, or that the resurrection changed something. If you can find one verse in the Bible that teaches that, then I have a reward for you because I've been trying to find this verse for a long time. And so I need your help, friends, and you can ask whoever you want to help you. If you can find this one verse that I've been looking for, I have a reward for you. You see, we're living in tough economic times. Isn't that right? How many of you could use an extra $10,000? Could you use that? Oh, friends, if you couldn't use it, you know there's someone that you know that could use it, so you can share it with others. 
and I'm prepared to give you a reward of $10,000 cash if you can help me find just one verse in the Bible that says that Sunday is the Sabbath or that the first day is the day that we should keep or that the resurrection changed what God wrote with his own finger. And friends, I've made this, uh, I've given this reward or, or this, this offer for a long time now, and no one has ever collected the money. You know why? Because the verse doesn't exist. But don't take my word for it. You open the Bible and check for yourself. Amen? Nothing to hide, friends. I share that not because I'm rich and I just want to give out money. No, friends. I like you, but I don't like you that much. I can't afford it anyway. The reason why I give that reward is to compel you to study for yourself. And don't ever take a man's word for it. Don't take your pastor's word for it. He may be a nice person, but you want to go by the word of God. Can you say amen? And so help me find it, and you'll be $10,000 richer. And it's going it, it, to be great, friends, if you can find it, but not even one. Now, after giving that challenge... A few other questions remain. If Saturday is the true biblical Sabbath, why do most people really keep Sunday? Most people keep Sunday not because that's the day Jesus resurrected. But here's the reason, friends, and here's how the topic of tonight ties in with prophecy. In Daniel 7.25, it describes the antichrist power, the little horn power of, of Satan. And one of the characteristics of the antichrist is that they would think to change. Think to what? change change what times and laws and friends which is the only law in the ten commandments that deals with time the fourth commandment and friends the reason why most people keep the first day of the week despite the fact the bible is so clear that that's not the sabbath it's because the antichrist power sought to change the sabbath from saturday the seventh day of the week to sunday the first day of the week and many people don't even realize it and friends, how many of you want to know who the Antichrist power is that changed the Sabbath? Do you want to know? Some of you look like you don't really want to know. Do you want to know who changed the Sabbath, the Antichrist power? Do you want to know? If you want to know, let me hear you say amen. amen. Now, if you're really serious about that, let me hear you say amen again. Amen. Well, you're going to have to come tomorrow night then. <laughs> because I'm not going to give you my opinion, friends. My opinion, you can throw what I think in the garbage. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what God thinks in His Word. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at the topic, the Antichrist's greatest deception, and we're going to see exactly who changed the Sabbath from Saturday the seventh day to Sunday the first day of the week. And it's going to be so easy, a little child will be able to understand it. Now, as we bring this to a close, hope is going to come and get ready to sing a song as we close. Though the Sabbath has largely been forgotten, many people are studying the Bible and rediscovering this forgotten truth. And love for Jesus is compelling people. Listen, listen, friends, don't be distracted tonight. Listen carefully. We're almost finished. Love for Jesus is compelling people to follow Him in all things, to tell their employers, I'm sorry, but I just learned about this wonderful gift of love God has given to me. And because of this, I can no longer work from Friday evening to Saturday evening. That's not my day. That's not your day. That's the Lord's day. And I must rest. I must honor Him who created me and who died on the cross for me. And many people are taking their stand for the Sabbath because they want to put God first in their lives. You see, friends, the Sabbath is not just a day to go to church. 
Many people who keep Sunday, for them, that's just a church day. After that, they go to the ballpark and they go shopping and they, they go to work afterwards. But friends, the Sabbath is different. It's 24 hours of unplugging from the world, not a day for us to worry about the errands or catch the football game or wash the car. It's 24 hours with sweet Jesus. And tonight, we didn't have the time to explain what it means to keep the Sabbath, but the handout on your way out tonight will give you seven principles of how to keep the Sabbath day holy in love, not legalism, to enter into the rest of Christ. It's a sign of a special relationship. And tonight, friends, as we close, I ask you the question, how many of you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, let me hear you say amen loudly. Amen. What Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not just nine, friends, but all ten. If you love me. You see, it's much more than just a day to worship. It's about who we love. And my friend, maybe you have been keeping Sunday all your life and you've done it in sincerity. And you've never been aware that Sunday was not the biblical Sabbath. Yet you love God and you've walked within Him in sincerity. Friends, tonight, God is simply asking and inviting you to take the next step in the journey. That doesn't mean that you've lived a lie. No, if you didn't know any better and if you were sincere in doing so, God sees your sincerity. But as truth comes, now He invites us to walk in the light of truth. The Bible is not saying that those who keep Sunday are lost. No, it's not saying that those who worship on the first day of the week are, 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 are bad people. Absolutely not, because most people who keep the first day of the week have never heard what you've heard tonight. And God only holds us accountable to the truth that we know, amen? When we know truth, then we're accountable to follow it. And some of you might be tempted to think, man, I know it now. I shouldn't have come tonight because now I know. Don't, don't think like that, friends. Here's the reason why. It's a privilege to know the truth. For when we know the truth, the truth will make us free, amen? God has given it not as a burden, but as a blessing. And I remember when I first heard this message, it was a little bit strange to me because I went to church on Sunday. It was a little bit strange. And, and friends, truth sounds strange in a world of universal deceit. When there's so much lies going around, when you finally hear the truth, it's shocking, it's strange. But when you think about it, it makes sense. And more than it being logical, it's biblical. And so I encourage you, friends, tonight to follow Jesus, to study His Word, and though for me it required adjusting my schedule a little bit, I've made the decision to honor God and keep the Sabbath. It's the best day of the week. Thousands of others have made the decision, and they've never regretted it. Amen. Amen. Friends, tonight as we pray, as we close, I'm not going to ask you to accept the Sabbath in your life because maybe some of you need a study. Maybe you've heard this for the first time, and you need some time to pray about it, to look into the scriptures and study. That's no problem, friends. But tonight, I believe the Lord would call, call us to make a decision to accept Him, the, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, to be the Lord of our lives. How many of you want Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, to be the Lord of your life? You want the rest that Jesus offers us tonight, amen? And you want to say, Lord, help me to investigate, to study, and I pray that your spirit would lead me not just to understand the truth, that your Holy Spirit will give me courage to follow the truth as well. When I understand it, Lord, give me grace to follow it. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much.
for helping us to understand this message clearly tonight. Lord, we've studied your word from Genesis to Revelation. We've seen the consistent message that you've set apart a special day, a special sign to remind us just how special we are to you, that our life counts, our life matters, our life has purpose, not only because you created us, but because you redeemed us by your love. We thank you so much. Bless us now as we leave tonight. Bring us back tomorrow evening, Lord, as we hear part two of this message, as we discover the Antichrist and who it was that changed the Sabbath. We pray, Lord, that you bring us back safely tomorrow and be with us as we leave. Bring us home safely. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.